So I pray for our hearts and our ears and our eyes today that we would receive joyfully the word that is to be spoken to us from your word, Jesus. Thank you for every heart, every soul in this room today. They are here. You are here today, ordained by the Lord, I believe. So listen close. Well, good morning. We are happy to be kind of journeying towards Easter. And what we've been doing is kind of walking through different teachings of Jesus, specifically parables of Jesus, where he talked about the kingdom of heaven. And it gives us kind of a good framework for what Jesus thought our lives should be like. What his people, the people who followed after him, the Christians that would carry on his message, what their world should look like. And so that is kind of how Jesus sums it up. And regularly he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it's a challenging thing because as we've been reading these different stories and parables of the kingdom of heaven, is it is a stark difference and contrast to the world that we know and love. And so it is challenging and it is difficult. And it's another one of those passages that we're going to deal with today. And specifically, Jesus talks about uh, conflict that we have to inevitably work through and how we deal with some of those things in the, in the story we're going to read today. So um, I don't know about you, but I've noticed more and more how um, conflict is dealt with in our culture now. It seems as though we deal with conflict in a way where it's just, it's easy to just kind of discard, run away from, dismiss others that have maybe a different point of view or maybe just kind of like a different perspective or argument. And it seems as though we kind of have modeled a different picture than what Jesus is talking about in the scripture. And You know, you think about in our world, we have so many things that are just kind of like we have a disposable life. We have quick attention spans. We just kind of dismiss and move on from things very, very quickly. And I think it's seeping over into some of our relationships where sometimes if some something goes off or something is wrong, we just dismiss and walk away from a relationship. We kind of have a disposable relationship culture, in a way. Unfriend. And we move on. And it's as simple as that. But the reality is, is that is kind of an immature picture of relationships. We understand that there's some things that can be discarded, some things that can be just, you, you can move away from. But people are more valuable than that. Right? Relationships are more valuable than that. People have intrinsic worth. They're created in the image of God. And so we can't just follow down a pattern where we just dismiss people, walk away, uh, and ruin relationships. Almost like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And so Jesus kind of frames some things for us that are challenging things that require maturity. Require uh, growth. Require practice. When he talks about how we treat one another, uh, all throughout the scripture, um, it's, it's a story that talks about how Jesus came to seek and save that 
which was lost, who, to come to us and bridge the gap and restore the relationship we have with our Creator. That's the big scripture narrative, right? That's what God says all throughout the scripture. He's coming to seek us, to restore us, to bring us back, to to build that bridge back to us when things go wrong. That's what Jesus does. That's what the Easter message is all about that we're getting to. That's what salvation is all about. God restoring our relationship. So, as a result, we should be people that work really hard at restoration. We should be people that work really hard at restoring relationships. So in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to kind of set the context, and it'd be helpful if you have a Bible or if you have a device with a Bible to kind of flip through with me Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at the last portion of scripture in this chapter, but it all kind of comes in one setting. So it's helpful to kind of have the context of this conversation before we enter into the story that we're going to really look at. So I want to just kind of flip through Matthew chapter 18. Um, And so Matthew 18, I forgot my Bible, so I got to read like the, the, the church one. And I'm realizing the lettering is very small. Um, so bear with me. I don't have any notes or anything in that. Oh boy. Uh, this is going to be an adventure. We're, we're in it together though. Okay. So Matthew chapter 18 kind of sets the context where Jesus, you know, gathers with his disciples and they're having this conversation and there's this extended conversation that is, um, that is recorded here. And it starts by a question of what is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, you know, all throughout this series, we've been talking about how Jesus sets the, the frame. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is different than all the other kingdoms of the world. All the other kingdoms of the world, there's power grabs, there's fighting, there's all these things to gain and garner power and authority. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's different. And so the question is raised, uh, what's the, you know, how can you be greatest in God's kingdom? How can you be greatest in God's eyes? And Jesus points to children. And he says, be like a child. Be like, be like one of these who is, you know, has a, a simple faith. And he goes in and he talks about the value of, you know, like, like, like children in this moment. And he talks about making sure to nurture them. And there's some powerful verses in there that you could read about, you know, just child rearing and thinking about that and the influence you have on others. And, and he goes into that. But then um, he talks right after that uh, about redemption and reconciliation. And he says, you know, tells them a quick story about a lost sheep. And he says, you know, if a shepherd loses his sheep, they're going to go out there and search and seek And try to find and bring them back. And he's saying this in the context of saying, hopefully, you know, if there's, if there's, this is what the kingdom of God is like. God is going out there and seeking and trying to bring us back into him. And that's what we should be doing. And this conversation then goes to conflict resolution, which is kind of interesting But they all do go together when you read it together. I never really had it all in context. But he talks about, starting in verse 16, where they're like, 
they have a debate that maybe you've had before within yourself where they're talking about going out there, recovering, restoring a relationship. And he goes right into how many times should we like try to restore this relationship? It says this in verse 16. If your brother or sister sins against you, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But they, if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that, they, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If still they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to, to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that with two or two on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. So he's talking about how to deal with some conflicts. And if somebody continually is like causing problems and dealing with how do you how do you deal with that and he says first of all you know go go and deal with it face to face go and talk to them go and approach the situation there's been many times people have come and talk to me about you know a problem they had with someone else and i said you know what it, you have two options you can either let it go and move on or you can go talk to them personally and and i'll, I'll support you with that but you really need to deal with it with that person and, and so he, he gives kind of this framework and all to reconcile and all to repair relationship. A second step would be maybe to get a mediator, somebody else involved, somebody who is wise, somebody who can help out. And, and maybe they can, they can sort through and help you with that conflict. And then finally, there's kind of this point in time where there has to be a moving on factor. And he's saying it within the context of the church. You don't want like the church to divide over an issue or something like that. He says, you know, at some point you have to move on and you have to decide, you know, this is not going to be resolved and we're going to be moving on. And so there is always this really difficult thing when you're talking about relationships. And so Peter pipes up and asks the question that is something that we all have debated at one time or another. He says in verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to, 70, up to seven times? Jesus t answered, I tell you, not 70 times, but 77 times. So understand kind of the whole flow of this conversation. And then we'll get into the story and the parable that we're reading. Jesus is talking all about the kingdom of heaven is about reconciliation. The kingdom of heaven is bringing people back together. And sometimes that's difficult and challenging. Here's a little bit of a framework of how you can deal with it. And then Peter says, how many times do you go endlessly over and over and forgive someone? You know, maybe you've asked that question yourself. Maybe you've had somebody in your life that it just seems like, it's been a lot of times where it seems like we've had the same conversation over and over. I, I'm getting a little weary of this. I'm getting a little tired of, of forgiving. I don't know. And, and Peter, um, Peter's like, how about seven? How about seven times? He seems, that seems pretty generous, giving somebody seven chances. 
He's actually, um, uh, many of the teaching in that era in time said, you should give people three chances, and then you should not forgive them anymore. That was what many of the people were teaching based on Amos chapter 1 verse 3. In the Old Testament, there's a reference where it says that there's like three warnings God gives people and then there was going to be judgment that came. So the people of that era said, okay, that's a principle we're going to lay down for everybody. Everybody gets three strikes and you're out. Okay, you give them three strikes. Once they hit that third strike, it's time for some revenge probably. You know, I mean, and that 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 seems a little bit more palatable to us. Right. OK, three strikes and then um, I'm going to get you. OK. And that seems a little bit fair. So Peter is being generous here and he's saying, how about seven? I'm going to double it and add one more. OK, seven times that we should forgive. And Jesus says, how about seven times seven? And even some interpretations think that he was actually saying 77 times seven. So it's either 49 times or 490 times, okay? We'll have to go with the bigger number just so we don't make a mistake. So, all right, I'm gonna set it in stone right here, right now. You have to forgive other people 490 times. 491, you're okay. That, obviously, that's not the point that Jesus was making. Don't get a notebook out with 490 tally marks and like start whipping it out with your spouse, okay? Don't do that. That's not the point. The point is this story that Jesus presents to us. So let's read. Matthew 18, 21. Or 22. 23, I'm sorry. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So, let's kind of recap the story. 
And this is what Jesus does always to paint the picture of the kingdom of heaven. He's always painting a picture that's different from all of the concepts or the natural inclinations that we have. And he tells it in this story to kind of give an illustration and to let the point sink in. Is he saying, you know, this is an obvious extreme example of a debt that somebody has. It's a king that somebody comes in with a debt, and it says in this translation, 10,000 bags of gold. The actual amount that is listed in, in some other translations is, is 10,000 talents. A talent is about equal to 6,000 denarii. Okay? All right, that clears it up for everybody, right? Um, I know you all have some denarii on you today. No, a, a, a denarii, if you were here last week, you may remember in the story that Jesus told last week, is uh, a day's wages was typically a denarii. And that's what they gave in the story Jesus told last week. One day's wages for a, a common worker was typically about one denarii. One talent is 6,000 Denarii. The man's debt was 10,000 talents. Okay? So, to do just a little bit of math, I did a few calculations. To do a little bit of math, it would take this servant approximately, if, if this servant worked 365 days a year without a day off, and he worked um, at the average day laborers wages of one denarii it would take him approximately 200,000 years to pay off the debt that's a that's a that's a long uh time to work okay 200,000 years so um this is approximately in our world's money six to seven billion dollars that's the amount that jesus throws out there it is a king with some, I don't know how you get into $6 billion in debt. I've gotten into debt in my life, but I, can't, I don't have a credit line of $6 billion, okay? This is a big deal. This is more than most kingdoms of this era. The obvious point is this is ridiculous amounts of money, and anybody who would forgive this amount of money would be ridiculously generous, and it is over the top, and it's crazy. How in the world this guy got into this much debt? Uh, we don't know. But throwing him into debtor's prison, it's going to take a long, long time for him to do laundry at the prison to pay off this debt a long time. 200,000 years. Okay? This is crazy. But then the script is that this person goes and finds someone else that, ha that owes him money. And if you are controlling assets of $6 billion, you do have other people under you that probably do owe you some money. And this guy, he finds him, and he chokes him, and he says, pay it back immediately. You owe me 100 denarii, which is about three to four months' wages. In our dollars, it's approximately $10,000. A decent amount of money, $10,000. The guy just got $6 billion forgiven, okay? This guy is like a CEO at Amazon, and he's going and, like, collecting Amazon Prime payments. That's kind of, I mean, that's, like, what is going on. This is a huge, huge difference. 
and it's distinctly like this to make an extreme point. That this person goes and he chokes the guy and he says, you must pay back. The point is really clear and Jesus interprets it for us. He says, you don't forgive others. It's an unbelievable misunderstanding of the forgiveness of God. That's what it is. When you don't understand and embrace forgiveness, it's an unbelievable, crazy misunderstanding of how God has extended forgiveness to you. That's the point. The, all of the sins, all of the rebellion, all of the things that we have done and humanity has done. And we sometimes nitpick at others. That's the point. And so the point is pretty clear. And it's pretty simple. And Jesus is kind of illustrating this big, broad point of reconciliation. But the actual application of it is really difficult. And that's why it's such a struggle. And that's why Peter's saying, how many? How many times? How many times do we have to forgive? How many? What do we have to do? But I want to I stop for a minute. And I want us just to contemplate what unforgiveness does. Does to us. Holding a grudge and kind of kind of think a little bit deeper about what is going on beneath the surface when when there's like when we have this unmerciful spirit like this person did or an unforgiving heart. You know, it's really really if it's something that we're holding on to, it's really it's it's holding a grudge, right? It's holding a grudge. And and another way to put it. Let's put it in biblical perspective and terms, kind of like Jesus is using. Another thing, way to put it is, I'm withholding redemption from you. I'm withholding the opportunity for you to be reconciled. I'm withholding the opportunity for you to find redemption and move forward in this circumstance in our relationship. I'm going to withhold that. You are not allowed to move forward in that. Now, there is no question whatsoever that there are people that, you know, aren't, are never going to move forward. They're never going to seek to, to reconcile a relationship. They're going to be toxic in your life. And there's times where we just have to walk away. But if I am the person that is holding the grudge and holding unforgiveness within myself, what I'm doing is I'm withholding redemption from somebody else. What? If God did that with us. And that is the core of what we understand about God. Is that he doesn't withhold redemption. He doesn't withhold the opportunity for you to find forgiveness. He doesn't withhold the opportunity for you to be redeemed. Instead, it says he goes out of his way. Extreme measures would do whatever it takes for you to know and understand and find forgiveness and that's been extended and that has been offered and this is what God is like and so as people of God following the kingdom of heaven not the rules of this world this is a pretty important principle this is a pretty important thing that we got to grapple with and we got to figure out that our natural human inclination and the kingdoms of the world would typically have kind of a twisted view of justice in this regard. A justice of retaliation. Have you ever fallen into this? 
I have, a retaliation type of justice. Where it's kind of like, it, it can be really, really small and petty. It can be as simple as, you know, um, I'm not going to talk to that person anymore for the week. I'm giving them the silent treatment. And then, then they'll, they'll come to the air of their way. They don't get to talk to me. They were mean, so you lose my beautiful perspective and you don't get to hear my voice. And when you talk to me, I'll just kind of, hmm, I don't know. It's so small and petty, but we can, it's so easy to follow down this road. That what it is, is it's just these little micro retaliation moments that we have. If anybody wrongs us, we're going we're, we're gonna to give them just a little bit back. Just a little bit of harm back. And then the level, the playing field is level again. Because, you know, I, I, I got my way a little bit. This is hard. This is hard. You know, parents, really good parents, you're all really good parents. You've probably done this before as a parent, right? Okay. All right. You want it that way? I'll, I'll give it to you that way. This does not in any way dismiss, yes, there's discipline, yes, there's consequence, yes, there's all of these things. We understand all of that. But what the scripture is telling us is the heart of God is reconciliation, not retaliation. The heart of God is repair, not harm. The heart of God is to restore, not to win it over. And Jesus gives us these messages all throughout Scripture. And I don't know if we really, really listen to them. Because we, would, we really, really would prefer the interpretation of Amos 1-3 to be correct. Three strikes and you're out. We would really, really prefer kind of some judgment to come down from heaven. We would prefer that. It seems like it's more fair. But... We, that's, that's not what God calls us to if we're, if we're people that are going to follow into God's kingdom. Really, when we, when we regress into retaliation mode, what we're doing is, no offense to anyone, okay? Because there is some people in this category in this room. I'm throwing this out there. These are other people. But we, we, we regress to kind of middle school girls justice club, Okay? Uh, uh, middle school girls justice. And that's kind of what we regress to in our relationship is, oh, they said this. Well, I'm going to do this. And I, you know, not that, not that men are um, exempt from this. We can do it the same way, but normally it includes a punch. Okay. Um, girls, middle school girls retaliation club is normally more of a snubbing, a snubbing contest back and forth. But like, Sometimes we regress into this kind of form of justice. Is, I will show them. I will show you, you know, I'm going to be petty. I'm going to show you that I haven't grasped forgiveness. I'm going to show you that I'm going to live a bitter life. I'm going to show you that this is how I'm going to retaliate. That's what we're doing. 
when we fall into this category is really, it's a sad life, an existence. And it's not a very mature way to deal with relationships and conflicts. It's not a, it's not a very mature way to deal with human beings who are made in the image of God. You know, I, I was trying to contemplate how, how some of this plays out in, in a more subtle way uh, this week. And I was thinking about how people relate cross-culturally. Follow with me for a moment here. But it is really hard to relate against uh, cross-culturally. Different cultures. Different cultures have different traditions, different values, different things that are important to them. And I have seen people that are really, really good at relating cross-culturally. And I've identified there's a couple of things that it takes for people to relate to somebody of a different culture. And what it takes is... um, You have to be able to respect others' traditions or protocol and not hold tightly to your own. You have to be able to do that. And just follow with me for a little bit there. Like what what we do sometimes, even in the church world, the people who are saying, I'm following Christ, is sometimes we're the worst at this. Is, you know what? Like my tradition and my protocol says that a pastor should not wear jeans to church, right? I mean, like, these are some of the things that we do sometimes. We hold petty things against one another. There is no, I've read the Bible all the way through. It does not say a pastor can't wear jeans, okay? It never says, but these are things that we grow up with, that are values that sometimes we hold really close to our heart, and we say, this is the way it should be. This is the way it should be. This is my tradition. This is my protocol. This is what... And then what can happen so many times is all of these little slights can build up. We can think, how did... Why did they they do that? They didn't, you know, they didn't... They didn't say hi to me the way that I'm used to somebody saying hi. Or they didn't dress the way that you're supposed to dress. Or they didn't do this, or they didn't do that. And it's like all these little protocol things, they may be different from different cultures. And people who are really good at cross-culturally understanding these things, they, they, they respect some of those protocols, but they don't hold too tightly to their own. And they say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. And I was having a conversation with my father this past week, because what he, he is a pastor... And he has um, a church called Mosaic Church of Aurora. And in their church, they have an English service, a Spanish service, a Burmese service, um, a Korean service. And they've started seven Burmese churches in Myanmar in the past couple of years. And they just started a Spanish church in Wyoming. And he uh, is pretty cool. But if you go into all of these different contexts and bring it all under one roof, it gets kind of messy because there's cultural differences and there's challenges and things like this. And my father, I'm like, my dad was explaining to me, he's like, yeah, we started this church in Wyoming and, um, and, and, and there was another big church there that was going to try to help it and support it. And, um, uh, he was going to say, can they just do it? I don't have any. I'm not able to go to Wyoming very often and help them out. And some of the leaders say, no, they'd kill it. 
because that's a church that like holds really tight to their traditions and they would not be willing to accept a different picture so no you have to do it you're gonna have to help he's like that's fine and and he's like they're gonna do it totally different than the way i would do it it's okay we have um within our church we have a spanish service that meets at three o'clock and uh, they used to meet here, and I really wanted them to meet here. But then after a while, they're like, it's not working for us. We can't meet here. We're going to have to meet. And, and there's times where it's kind of like, I'm like, no, meet here. It'd be really cool if we have English service, Spanish service right after each other. We can do things together. And they're like, it's not working for us. And there was a point in time where I had to stop and say, you know what? I have to let go of what I would prefer. And I have to say, you know what? You need to do what is best for you so the kingdom of God continues on. And if you go to their services, which I do regularly, their music is about an hour long, and the sermon is more than an hour. Okay? You get it really, really easy. Okay? And it's wonderful, and I love it, and my heart is always filled when I go there, and I don't have a clue what any of the words are that we're singing for one straight hour. I just sing watermelon, watermelon over and over for an hour straight. That's a lot of singing. But what it is, is it's a beautiful thing when we are able to say, you know what? I need, to, I need to let go maybe of some of those things I hold too tightly that really aren't all that important. I, I, I need to let go of that control just a little bit. I need to be more gracious than that. And what happens when we are those kinds of people is that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth in a really profound way. Can you imagine and think about the millions of times that God has looked down at us and our goofy cultures and said, what in the world are you worried about? Why are you so stressed about that? Why are you worried about that? Why is that so important to you? Why are you digging in your feet on that one? That is not a deal at all focus on the things that really matter and the things that really matter is people reconciled in a relationship with god that's what really matters what really matters is not maybe that slight that you perceived whether it's real or or just perceived what really matters is that relationship with that person and retaliation it's not going to help it's not going to work Instead, the kingdom of heaven is like this. I give you forgiveness. God gives you forgiveness. God offers reconciliation. God offers redemption. And he offers it to us, silly people that do silly things. Right? And when we hold on, we're withholding redemption from others. And it's really counter to the spirit that God gave to us, the gift that God gives to us. The sign of relational maturity is someone that really focuses on the heart of the matter. So the opposite is, is, is pursuing the redemption, pursuing the reconciliation, Pursuing forgiveness and seeking that out, just like a sheep that has run away. Seeking that. Matthew 6, 14 says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a pretty strong message. What are you doing if you withhold redemption from someone else? People desperately need salvation. People desperately need forgiveness. If we hold on to small things and get in the way of the big things, it's so contradictory to what God's kingdom is all about. And so the challenge is direct to us, and it's exactly what Christ said. The challenge is direct, that we should forgive others when they sin against us. 490 times. And more. Because that is the picture of what Christ has done for you. Will you pray with me? God, we recognize that your kingdom is not of this world. That your ways are so much different than the way that we maybe would naturally react. I struggle with, and I'm sure other people in this room struggle with, the temptation to retaliate. God, forgive us. God, instead, have our hearts be overwhelmed and filled with grace for other people. Even when we're harmed, God, I pray that our hearts would break, that they would come to a place where they would repent and see the error of their ways. We wouldn't wish ill on anyone. We wouldn't wish revenge on anyone. But instead, God, our hearts would break when other people mistreat us. And we would hope and pray for their forgiveness. And that they would be reconciled to you. God, I am so thankful that in all the many times that I did something foolish. I sinned against you. That you welcomed me back. That you've never withheld redemption from me. And so, God, I know this is a challenging scripture, but it's so core. It's so foundational to what you're trying to teach us and show us. And so, God, I pray that even if we struggle through it, that we would work really hard at improving in this. That, God, if we're anything, we would be people of redemption. People of reconciliation people of forgiveness.
So right now it would be appropriate for you to take a moment and evaluate in your own life maybe those things that you're holding on to, maybe those slights or maybe even something big that you've held on to for a significant amount of time. There's, there's pain and there's consequence when sin affects us. When other people do things to harm us, it still is painful and it's still hurtful. But the challenge is, is to give that over to God and say, God, I, I don't wish ill will on others. I, I pray and hope for redemption. I pray for reconciliation. And God, help me to do everything I can to bring healing, not harm. God is not calling us to be a pushover or a victim, but he is calling us to relational maturity. And so if there's an area of your life where you're holding on to it, just ask God for forgiveness. Maybe picture that person in your mind and say, God, I forgive and I hope and I pray that there's reconciliation and that that I could be restored. when you identify that person or that slight or whatever it may be or big injustice pray to God and ask him to do something in your heart ask him to heal you 